0: Hey, B. Mm-hmm. can I ask you a question? Always. What's the one thing when we travel that we always make sure we find?
1: Oh, coffee. You know, bad coffee makes my brain angry.
0: And We've been a lot of places.
1: We've had a lot of coffee.
0: But when we're home, there's only one place that we get coffee from.
1: Yeah, Hacienda Real in Costa Rica.
0: We found this place when we were in Costa Rica a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and it's a micro roastery. Using only Costa Rican beans. Their blend is a mix of Arabica and Peaberry. And if you don't know about Peaberry, you need to find out about it because Mm. it is amazing.
1: Takes all the bitterness out. All
0: the bitterness out. And we place orders and it's shipped directly to our door.
1: You can get light, medium, or dark roast. You can get ground. You can get whole bean. And it is roasted to order. So... There is a date stamped on your coffee so you know when it was roasted and bagged. It's good for a year after you order it and it is the best coffee that we have ever had.
0: So click the link in our show notes or go to goldenbean.net and use the offer code COFCHR20 for 10% off your order.
1: Hacienda Real. Keep your brain happy. Hey Dante. Hey B. Looking pretty smart in your undies. Thanks, I've been doing my <laughs> oh I can see that. But it's not just what's in them, it's what's on them.
0: Oh yeah, I got on my smart ass undies. They're not just super comfy, they've got cheeky motivations on them that keep me in the right state of mind.
1: Oh yeah, like we could all use a little brain lift these days, am I right? They're also lovingly made from sustainable, low impact materials. So we can love the planet and cover our asses all at the same time.
0: Motivate your ass with smart ass undies. Click the link in the show notes or on the Things We Love page on our website.
1: And remember to enter the discount code CHEATINGONFEAR10 for 10% off your order.
0: Smartass undies.
1: Cheeky and comfy.
0: So uh, we did a, something a little bit different today. We did. We did. What did we do today?
1: Well, this week we have an awesome show for you. We interview Dr. Tom Murray, and I, I'm, st- I think, I think my mind's still blown over that conversation. Yeah,
0: it, it, we'll get to it in the outro. But, but there was, there was something he talked about that, like, just. Pew.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of... Yeah. So who is Dr. Tom Murray? He is an international trainer, educator, and couples and sex therapist. He's a widely sought after expert in the fields of sexuality and intimate relationships. For 20 years, Murray has worked with everyday folks to embrace their weirdness, shed labels, and shame, lean into anxiety, and build better and stronger relationships. Dr. Murray has appeared in numerous venues, including the Huffington Post, and the Daily Mail, as well as radio, television, and podcasts, including The Practice of Being Seen and shrink Rap Radio. Dr. Murray directs a group practice in Greensboro, North Carolina, and holds a faculty appointment at Northwestern University's Family Institute. He's also a member of ASECT, which we will talk about what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is an incredible individual, and anybody who is lucky enough to be one of his clients is really in for a treat and you guys are now in for a treat.
0: Yes, you get to meet Dr. Tom Murray. Yeah. So enjoy everyone.
1: Enjoy. Let's welcome Dr. Tom Murray. Welcome to Cheating on Fear, Dr. Murray.
2: Thank you so much. I'm just so delighted to be here.
1: We're very delighted that you're here. Um so shall we just get into it then?
0: Yeah, let's get right into it.
1: All right. Um so we will have gone through your bio already. And um, you are part of ASECT, that's correct, right? That's
2: exactly right. The American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists.
1: Amazing. So I, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners what, what it means to have a sex positive therapist or someone who's a member of ASECT, what that means to you to, and, and how that frames the work that you do with your, with your patients.
2: Yes, yes, well, I, you know ASEC, um, given its long history, has really become the premier org- association for sexual health professionals. Uh, and so ASECT as an organization certifies sex educators, uh, counselors which are essentially they're, they're non-mental health professionals who, such as medical uh, professionals, um, they may include clergy who provide services but don't have uh, a psychotherapy background. And then sex therapists. Uh, and so as the premier organization, they are ensuring that, that uh, people who get certified through them have the competencies to provide sex-positive sex therapy or sexual health services. Um, and, and kind of broadly speaking, sex-positive care is really care in which um, sex is seen as a positive thing in, in people's lives. Um, and and as professionals, we're aiming to create a space that that embodies um, the, the belief that uh, people should be able to access care in a judgment-free, shame-free, guilt-free zone. Um, and, yes, and, absolutely. and I was really pulled... By that that ethic of, of sex-positive um, sexual sexual health.
1: How do you find that, you know, if if couples or or thruples or pods or what are obviously with regular um, with people who are not a part of this organization, what are some of the things that may um, detract from them getting the help that they need? Like what do you, is it do you find that there's shame involved or that it's, or that sex is kind of shoved aside where it's not as important as other things, or, um, they just don't have the right information or the right guidance to give people in that way. Or how, what do you find? Do people come to you and say, I had this experience with, with this, um, uh, with therapy and it, it was just not a great experience. Like, do you find that, that a lot of your patients come to you because of that?
2: You know, be, uh, what fascinated me is that a lot of people come to me who already have a therapist that they love but <laughs> are afraid to talk to that therapist <laughs> about their sexual issues and so they want a designated person who they can trust to talk about these particular issues again um in our in and certainly in in uh America culture, the U.S. culture—it's a very much this secret part of our lives. It's, well, it's quite schizophrenic, isn't it? It's a secret part <laughs> of our lives, and yet we're inundated
0: yeah, by right? sexual
2: stimulation, visual yes. stimulation, um, and 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 yet, and, and I think we're going to talk about this later. We all bring with us this these tapes, right? Mm-hmm. These mental tapes that. Uh, uh, inform our relationship with our own sexuality and if uh, as we know from anthropology what defines a taboo is the secretive nature of it
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right
2: right and and so there's a, or I as a sex therapist I prefer taboo uh, oh. <laughs> The uh the secret Let's of see it.
1: sex therapist jokes we can get in <laughs> that would be so great yeah. <laughs> taboo is one I'm going to write that I'm going to make we have to make that a hashtag yeah oh,
2: hashtag hashtag. yeah yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make sex therapy joke hashtags um Yeah, I I think that's so fascinating that people have sort of a um, different like I would never imagine that people would have different therapists for different aspects of their lives. Like we're not ice cube trays, right? It's 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 almost like going to different. Is that a Canadian joke? Is that a (laughs) probably if it has to do with ice or snow, it's probably a Canadian joke. (laughs) Um, So I think that's so fascinating that you know you're supposed to be. Um, be, you're supposed to be honest with your therapist so that they can help you, and yet there's this huge part of their lives that they're hiding from you, which may be a, a major source of what is troubling them in the first mm-hmm. place. I find that Absolutely. so fascinating. Yeah, wow. Yeah. The, I, and I think that's a great segue into your yeah. um into your question.
0: So, I was married previously, and I started dating my ex when I was a teenager. And we ended a 23-year-long relationship a few years ago. And when things were going kind of not so great, the idea was to go to some counseling. And I was hesitant. um, And this first experience with counseling kind of reinforced my hesitation in that um, I'm Asect, As far as I could tell, we don't have something similar up here in Canada. So you kind of do the best research you can on the counselor. You're going to go see recommendations from people that you know, or internet research, whatever. And this particular counselor that my ex and I saw had, had this sort of um, dynamic that there was, there was a, there was a, there was a, like a, an aggrieved party and there was an aggressor and these roles were assigned like when you walked in the door Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't, I didn't appreciate that there was more going on than just this, like, you know, somebody is a victim and somebody is a victimizer that it was much more complex and much more nuanced than that. And so that first experience of counseling with me kind of turned me off of the idea because I was, I was having to defend myself from two people now um, (laughs) without any kind of discussion on what, what the issues might be on both sides and to try to find that kind of um, common ground. So I, I think that if, if I had had a chance to see a counselor like you or, you know, another member of, of ASEC that, that would have taken a little bit more of a holistic approach and, 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 and recognize the fact that there are two sides to every story, sometimes more than that. And that it's it's never as simple. It's never just black and white, right or wrong. There's always there's all these kind of gradations in there. Um, How do you, when you have a situation where um, you have patients coming to you, and there is a, a party that is obviously hurt, and and another party that has that has caused the hurt, how do you approach it without without kind of making it the experience that that I had when when I had that first that first experience with counseling?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, when a couple sees me, well, first of all, my style, I think, is much more, is much, is, is different than a lot of other therapists. I tend to market myself as a tell you how it is, no beating around the bush and occasional karate chop to the throat kind of therapist. <laughs> um, but that's, and, our third,
1: if, that's our third hashtag. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, as what the, and, and what I, what that means is that when a couple comes in to see me, uh, I I really let them know up front that uh, I'm only on the side of the marriage or only on the side of the relationship. I am right. not on e- any particular individual person side, um, and and as a result, they're hiring me to be the in essence to be the embodied voice right. for the relationship, and. Where, whereas there may not be equal responsibility, there is certainly mutual responsibility. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. so my, my work with, with, with couples is to help them, presumably to, to transcend the, the power struggles that they find themselves in. So that yeah. they're, they're up where I would like to be, which is that 30,000 foot view Mm-hmm. Uh, because if at that view, everything down here makes sense. Right. And my assumption as a therapist, if, is, if this doesn't make sense to me, then I mustn't be high enough okay. because the belief is if I can get higher, all of this will make sense. And so as a, from a clinical perspective, there are no saints and there are no sinners. Right. Right. That, everybody does everything in an effort to meet some kind of need.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Right? Um, you know, it could be, I want to feel better. I want to avoid feeling worse. I want to avoid a situation. I want to, um, uh, uh, just transcend the experience. Right. Every every you know the motivations behind most behavior is it makes sense again once you have enough information. If it, if it doesn't make sense, it's just that I just don't know enough.
1: Yeah.
2: And when so- when when a therapist um, uh, labels people as sinners or saints, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that is a very linear kind of understanding of relationships where relationships are a, 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 there's a mutuality mm-hmm. right there's a reciprocity that that everyone's an actor and a reactor in this in this uh, uh, system and and behavior is best understood within the context of that system
1: I think um, it that's such a Great way to look at it where you, you know, you got to get that distance. And I think when there's hurt feelings involved and there's resentment that's been allowed to build, then all the behavior that is around that is looked at as it's done maliciously. Right. And I think that's really important that you make that point where you maybe can help the partners in that relationship to understand. This is not about intentionally hurting you. This is not malicious unless it is. And then in that case, you know, I'm sure it is in some cases, but (laughs) I, but, 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 um, but I think that's, that's such a, an amazing approach to get that space and really understand what is motivating each partner and, and what it is they're trying to achieve, or like you said, what need they're, they're filling. So I, I, that's that's such a great um, way to put that.
0: I, I really liked how you you would you you said that that everybody shares responsibility for the current situation, maybe not equally. And I think if that first counselor that I had had had, had that kind of approach, we could have addressed the hurt feelings that were obviously there, but without making it you know that that the victim is completely innocent in everything and 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 the aggressor is is always guilty of everything that that it was way more nuanced than that and i mm-hmm. think i think that must be a great value to your to your to your patients mm-hmm. to to know that they are understood like that and that the issue is complex from that you know 30,000 foot view yeah absolutely yeah.
2: and even you know sometimes i'll have clients that come in uh, who carry with them a legacy of of, of therapists who have stuck to the pathologizing language,
1: right? And
2: <laughs> and it's almost as if they expect that I'll be participating in that, right? In that yeah. very limited view of themselves and 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 I've on a number of occasions said that if it's absolutely imperative that you have a therapist who believes that you're disordered diseased defective deficient disabled then it's best that you find another therapist because I will not have any of my clients convince me that they are broken right
1: mm. Wow <laughs> yeah I love that I love that
0: and that 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 sinner saint language is. So, uh, mm. s- such a great segue mm. to how, how <laughs> B was brought up. Our,
1: the, uh. don't, you're looking at the center of the two. Is that, is that what no, the, no, no, you're no, going no. no just, just
0: that dichotomy of sinners <laughs> and saints, right? We,
1: we, we quote a lot of Oscar Wilde around here. And one of our favorite quotes is every saint has a past, every sinner a future. So, um, mm. so mm. the future here is with the, <laughs> with the next question. <laughs> um, so I was raised Catholic and uh, there's a big sigh. There's a big sigh. <laughs> we, we know where this is going. <laughs> um, as I was brought up, um, my father not so much. You know, he was kind of stepped outside of that. But my mother very much so. And um, it was a very sex negative environment. It was a secret. It was uh, shamey. It was um, it shame. Around sex and sexuality, particularly my own sexuality, featured quite prominently throughout a good portion of my teenage and adult life. Um, and all it does is drive you underground. I mean, you're just gonna mm. you're gonna do what you're gonna do <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you just might you just might not be super safe about it because you don't have right. the language, right. you don't have the um, the understanding, you don't have. Um, the education on, on what consequences might be. Um, how much of a role do you find that religious indoctrination plays in the sex lives of your par- of your patients, I was going to say of your parents, of your patients, like, and how does that kind of manifest? Do you find that that is kind of a recurring theme, especially with sex therapy to try and, and get to the root of that and, and change the mindset of that.
2: Yeah. Um, you you know, it's interesting to use the word indoctrination, and I've come to really appreciate uh, the word uh, domestication, <laughs> how we're domesticated,
1: mm-hmm, right,
2: yeah. how we're domesticated and, and, um, you know, for the most part, I think people Uh, and our parents included, um, what they are really aiming for is that their children avoid mistakes, Mm -hmm. avoid, and and whatever form or flavor that comes in, that could be eternal damnation.
1: Right. Right? Right.
2: but more oh, wow. often,
1: I so all of a sudden, <laughs>
2: <laughs> more often though it's it's this uh, fear of embarrassment to the family, right. right, right, and so I don't want you to touch yourself uh, uh, in front of other people. You know, stop doing that. That's bad, right? Because I'm concerned about what other people would think of me if they saw you doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't want you to, to, to have sex because you might get pregnant and that would bring shame to the family. Right. So sex is sex is shrouded in fear based language. Um, or you get it vicariously by hearing how other people are described in relationship to their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So, are are people described as sluts or whores or Mm -hmm. gigolos or whatever is the language. Um, And so you just get this impression, oh, sex is dangerous. Yes. Right? Sex is dangerous. And very little attention is given to uh, why most people have sex, which is not procreation. Most people have sex because it's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It feels good. It feels
1: good, That's yeah. It.
2: That's it. <laughs> right, and so, um, uh, and I don't know how if this made its way up into Canada, but uh, for uh, much of the '90s into the early 2000s, there was this purity movement.
0: Oh, that was it. Wasn't purity here, but but in the '90s when I went through late elementary and high school. The sex ed was basically if you have sex, you're gonna catch HIV and it's a death sentence. Like that was and and that deprogramming that even as an adult 20, 30 years later, and going like, okay, there is risk-aware sex that you can have, but the fear, like I would have been way sluttier in high school <laughs> if if I wasn't so scared that I was gonna catch something that was gonna kill me, right? And yeah, and go. and you know, kind of Fear-based abstinence was Mm -hmm. kind of like the, you know, we'll give you information about how to put a condom on and do that kind of stuff, but don't use it because, you know, you're going to die if you catch something. If it fails, that's it. So just wait. So a little less religious, like a little less purity movement. but still
1: frightening. But still scary, right?
2: Terrifying, terrifying. You know, because the emphasis is wait until you are married. Yeah. Right? Wait until you're married. Wait until you're married. But there's never a discussion, okay? Okay, well, let's, let's, let's all agree. We're going to wait until we're married. So imagine we're married. So, how are we going to have great sex? Still, yeah. It's still yeah. good information to have. Yeah. But I think as a culture, again, uh, we do not like to imagine our children as sexual beings. You know, that carries a lot of emotional energy for people. We do not like. So the other day, uh, my son, I hope he will not shoot me for calling him (laughs) out, but he used the term douchebag. Yes. Douchebag calling mm-hmm. someone a douchebag. And so, you know, I would, uh, being the sex therapist that I am, of course, I use any opportunity to talk about <laughs> sex. <laughs> and so I'm sure I, they
1: love that so much.
2: <laughs> so I said to him, I go, what? Do, what is, do you even know what a douchebag is? <laughs> and of course he didn't. No. A shitty
0: dude, that's uh, what it
2: is. Yeah. And so I explained to him, okay, what is a douchebag and what's its purpose? And I said, and it's, you know, women's vaginas are self-cleaning organs. They do not need to be cleaned. Thank you. And so of course you can't talk about that without talking about periods. And you can't talk about periods without talking about the ovulation and all the you know, the shedding of the uterus. So it just became you build on it, build on it, build on it.
0: He's like, Dad, Uh, can we just buy pencils at the store? Why like
2: (laughs) so so my youngest son who's in is listening says, pauses, he goes, Wait, I thought we were talking about Kentucky fried chicken.
1: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's
0: a, that's a lot of steps. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. From KFC to periods. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I just wanted to circle back. You started yeah. talking about the purity movement. Yes. Can you talk like north of the wall? We're not, we didn't really have that. I don't think, I don't think, I mean, I feel
0: like in like Western Canada and the more religious parts of the country, this was maybe a little bit more common, like in Alberta, maybe, but not so much out here in the central eastern part of the country. So
1: what, uh, can you talk a little bit about that, about what that entailed? That sounds, that sounds delightful, by the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the purity movement was a, a, uh, a program, a curriculum within many evangelical uh, religious communities, church communities, and they, uh, t- teenagers um, were offered opportunities to sign purity cards that uh, were declarations of their commitment to remain pure, um, uh, that is to say, uncontaminated by sex or oh, yeah. even sexual thought. Um, uh, and and that they are committing to God, their church, their parents, their community to uh, remain abstinent until marriage. And they had these, you know, these purity balls that you know mm. that, that uh, fathers would bring their daughters, et cetera, and and they would mm-hmm. engage in this activity. Well, I have come to realize that the purity movement is probably one of the. More um, that one of the most hidden forms of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: wow. that That
2: uh, is goes unrecognized. Uh, in that the the client clients that I've uh, worked with, um, they say, you know, I we spent my whole adolescence being told sex is bad, sex is sinful, sex is. Uh, uh, um, Going to bring shame onto my family. And then all of a sudden, I say I do to someone, and now sex is supposed to be great and wonderful. And I should, mm. I now have a, not only should it be great and wonderful, but I have a moral obligation to meet my, usually my husband's, you know, meet <laughs> yeah. my husband's sexual needs, right? Without any reflection of, oh, I'm a sexual being. I have sexual needs, I have sexual wants, sexual desires, right? Um, that And then it can trickle into uh, not uh, a fear of masturbating, mm-hmm. right? How many people, particularly women, I've met in this, you know, raised in this culture where they've never taken a mirror to their own vulva, mm-hmm. right? They've never masturbated. It's a mystery. <laughs>
1: Well, it's, I think it's so important that you bring up masturbation for women. Um, I, it's, it's so interesting how, I mean, aside from the purity movement and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. um, That it's, it's still kind of expected for young men, even if you don't really talk about it, it's just kind of a thing that young, young boys and men, young men do, but um you don't even talk about it about women and so um what i find so like appalling is that women are arriving at partnered sex not knowing anything about how their bodies work and never having
0: seen their vulva
1: no never having right. seen their vulva touched it anything and that um any pleasure so the problem with that psychologically and emotionally is that any pleasure that they get with a partner, they immediately attribute to that partner. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I see it. I, I work with a lot of uh, teenaged girls and they, they are just instantly attached to this partner because they don't understand that this isn't about this partner necessarily. This is their own body producing this pleasure, but they don't right. know that because they've never experienced that. On their own, and I, I, I notice teenage girls and young women staying far too long in toxic, unhealthy relationships because they think, "Well, this is
0: this is how it's supposed to be."
1: This, you know, this person does these things to my body, and I'm never going to have this pleasure again. I'm never going to feel this way again if I lose this person. And so, it's you know, I don't have a daughter, but if I did. I would like to think that I would have a, a real conversation about that, about how, you know, that your body brings pleasure to you. It's not, and partnered partnered uh, sex and that kind of pleasure, that is awesome too. But this is about you and your body as well. And I, I think you make such a great point that there's, you know, people that are getting married and without clue one, about who they are sexually, if they've been involved in this purity movement, and not only can they not experience any kind of sex, but they can't even think about it, how do they even know who they are sexually?
0: yeah yeah
1: and and then and I guess then they end up in your office, yeah, well <laughs> if, they, if they're fortunate they end if up they're in fortunate your they end up in your office, yeah, if they're
0: unfortunate, they end up like I did, right.
1: You're doing okay. Well, now.
0: Yeah, but... Sorry, go ahead, Doctor Murray.
2: No, the, the 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 what is the implication? Oh, if I have interest in sex, if I have sexual thoughts, if I do touch myself, I must be sexually deviant,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? That's the implication. Right? That's the only alternative. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. Again, the purity movement, I think, was well intended,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: There's this. Uh, uh, uh this you know wanting assurance that that a the soul will be saved right mm-hmm. and that there won't be shame brought on to the family right that the the primary reason people have sex is procreation that's the that's the inference right and mm-hmm. so if you're going yeah. to have children you want to have them raised in in homes in which the parents are married you know, now I'm not saying that that is essential, but that's the the belief, right? That, that all of those mm-hmm. elements that's where are, it comes
1: from, mm-hmm. right?
2: Are 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 necessary and good. So I think you know the, there was a good intention behind it, but we're now finding that people um, who were leaders in the purity movement have now come out and and have recognized the error of their own thinking. Um, uh, and that it has been very costly to to many uh, because it is a form of sexual trauma. It, it requires a total disconnection from oneself. You know, we're sexual beings twenty four seven. We don't stop being sexual just because we leave the leave our door. You know, just because
1: it. we signed a card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we signed a card, right? Right. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: Or, you know, just fantasies um, uh, in general, right? The idea of, I, I was talking to a client the other day, you know, in my view, I know it can be uh, heretical, but in my view, it is okay that you have sexual fantasies about other people other than your primary partner. Mm-hmm. It is okay because this assumption that's, that sex positive sex therapists have is that, one is uh, re- solely responsible for their own sexual pleasure. That it's never our partner's responsibility. Right.
1: right? Mm-hmm.
2: Otherwise, if 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 I if it's my responsibility to meet my partner's sexual pleasure is to you know ensure my partner experienced sexual pleasure, and it's their responsibility to ensure that I experience sexual pleasure. Well, now we've made sex not about pleasure at all, but about performance. Right Right. and, and, and that becomes
0: goal oriented. It becomes mm-hmm. very goal
2: oriented. So, so the idea of fantasizing is just a way. if that's what one um, uh, experience needs, maybe needs is a hard is, is too strong, but if that's what one uses in order to in, in have the fullest experience of their sexual pleasure, that is totally fine. that my uh, fantasizing about someone else doesn't have to mean, that i have less love for the person that i'm experiencing the pleasure with right but this right idea exactly. we have through our own domestication is that we that we must only think about our partner we only should think about our partner and what that what that is is in the form of is what i call pseudo certainty Right? Pseudo-certainty. This, this. We, we want to feel safe in our relationship, so we tell ourselves lies. Oh, my partner never has mm. any thoughts about anybody
1: else. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> Rather than deal with the anxiety that comes from living with uncertainty. You know, it is, it is a reality. My partner could one day not choose me, just like they one day chose me. Right? That is a reality.
1: I, I think that's something that we that we have conversations about and are a little bit more open about is we acknowledge being in a non-traditional relationship, we already acknowledge that attraction for people outside of our partnership. And we may have experiences with them or we may not, but that's something that we speak about. So it's, it's really interesting that you talk about that, People that that desire for people to feel safe, um, I, that must cause so much cognitive dissonance because there is no such thing in, in human relationships. And so, but I do think that in in sort of more open relationships or non-traditional relationships, some of those things get addressed more regularly mm-hmm. because there is that acknowledgement that there is fantasy life, there is attraction for others. There is desire for others. There is, and that's okay. That, that our relationship is, is not diminished because of that. In fact, it allows each partner to be more truly who they are sexually and to have mm-hmm. that expression. Yeah, And it actually like intensifies our, our bond in our, in our relationship. And so it, and it's, I, I think it's, it's so hard to explain that to people. That seems so counterintuitive when you say that to people, they go, how is that possible? Yeah. But yeah.
2: And it is, it's possible, you know, uh, to, to, to give some maybe terms to what I hear you describing Mm -hmm. is that what you're describing is the, is the difference between closeness and intimacy. Mm. Right. Closeness is about, um is about low risk low anxiety, high predictability uh, comfort familiarity intimacy is high risk, high anxiety, low predictability newness novelty and so when you're having those conversations when you 're vulnerable enough to share right, right that uh, I fantasize about this or that with your partner and Given, that, given the cultural context in which we live, right, and you, you lean into that anxiety and you share that information, then that's a space in which greater intimacy can develop. But so many people, they stop as soon as they feel anxious. They stop mm-hmm. as soon as they feel awkward with the assumption that, oh, something must be wrong here. If I feel anxious or awkward rather than something must be right here because I am at the precipice of something greater, right? That evolution happens when when organisms are willing to go up against that, which is uncomfortable.
0: I, I think that so many people think that it's a zero sum game that like, if they are in love with somebody and then also fantasize about another person that, that takes away something from their, their partner. And I think having that rich fantasy life and, and and being able to share that with your partner, you're right, it definitely increases that potential for greater intimacy between, between the partners. And what do you do when you come across patients that are afraid of sharing those fantasies and how do you help them um communicate that and kind of like in a more general sort of term what happens when these people who have gone through a, the purity movement and 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 have never really had any sexual experience until they get married and and they discover however many years later that they're sexually incompatible with their partner where and you know it might be a fantasy life it might be activities whatever it is but how do how do you help them navigate and negotiate those those fantasies and, and those potential incompatibilities that that might arise once they actually start to figure out what kind of sexual being they are?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, this is uh, uh, where collaborating with other professionals can be so helpful. Um, you know, again, as a as a member of ASECT, uh we really value sexual sexuality educators, and mm-hmm. what I find is that most people's sexual hang-ups are a function of a lack of sexuality education. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
2: That once they understand how fantasizing works and and, and that it's normal, to have fantasies. It's it's what I call mental masturbation. These are mental... <laughs> we we've mentally masturbate all day long. And, and right. what I mean by that is at any time that we're entertaining thoughts that aren't t- dealing with reality, we're mentally
1: masturbating.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They can be yeah. worry thoughts. They can be feel-good
1: thoughts. That's what people should be doing on Zoom. Not the actual... <laughs> not actually masturbating. Not... <laughs> Keep... <laughs> There would be there would be a lot less trouble going on right now, I think, yeah. if people were mentally masturbating on Zoom than, <laughs> than the actual kind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. It, it's funny. We, we've come across um, and done... Um, we, I read a lot of uh, Justin Lee Miller's work. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his book, Tell Me What You Want. Yes. Um, and he speaks about, and I think this is such a great point, when, when you're talking with your partner, the, the distinction between fantasy and desire that a fantasy may, may not necessarily be something they ever want to do. It's just something that when they think about it, when they have a visual representation in their mind, it's arousing for them. It's, it turn, it it's, it turns them on but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to do it, you know, and it, and a desire is something that you kind of want to do. You want to try. And that's, you know, that's a different uh, bridge uh, to gap, uh, to gap, but gap to bridge, bridge to gap, um, bridge, the gap, bridge, the gap, <laughs> mind the gap. But, <laughs> but I think that, um, like there's a couple of things where, you know, you, and you and I have talked about this where, you know, I, I, I find certain things like, oh, that's really interesting. That's really provocative for me. And then, well, would you ever want to do that? Oh no, <laughs> that's a logistical nightmare. Like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Um, and so, and, I you
2: know, rape I, fantasies is a perfect example. Fifty mm, yeah. percent of women have have had rape fantasies, but I don't right. know a single woman who wants to be raped. No, no, right? No. So, so there's, but but keep in mind that that there's some belief. That fantasies are uh, a, a method for addressing unresolved conflicts and, and, mm. and unmet needs. Um, and that, that they may be fragments, they may be connected to fragments of, of, of our history, right? Mm. That then mm-hmm. are brought forward into the, the, the realm of fantasy. Um, and so, it it's it's uh very comforting to explore I, you know again i I was saying this to someone else the other day that you know if if a straight man has fantasies about having sex with other men, that doesn't mean that he's gay it just means no. he's a straight man having fantasies about sex with another man right, right. but mm-hmm. but uh uh we can we can uh uh without good quality sexuality education, make c- cognitive leaps, logical leaps that are are detrimental to yeah. our sense of, of, of who we are as sexual beings.
1: Let me ask you this, because you brought up a, an interesting point about, you know, fantasy being linked to different fragments of, of our history. Have you ever found that if those pieces are integrated, that that fantasy dissipates or changes into something else or just kind of disappears entirely? Like, like you talked about a rape fantasy or a ravishment fantasy. Is that, you know, is that something that has a common sort of origin in your experience when, where, or is it just kind of every, like that 60% is all from, is all over the map?
2: Yeah. I, you know, to me, it's really about what is in the surface of the client. And so I, I'm I'm not one of those therapists who believe we have to spend years and years and years uh, esca- excavating uh, one's history, right? Um, but it's really is, is what is in the service. I I you know I just shared with you some some theories about it. Uh, I don't necessarily believe it. You know the the on the sensory okay. cortex of the brain, the feet <laughs> the feet and the genitals are right next to each other. Wow. And so okay. one of the ideas is that the reason why we have foot fetishes is because there's some kind of interconnection there between mm. the genitals and the feet. Uh, whether that's true or not, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, that's not
1: the first time I've heard that. No, I. Haven't. No, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it just feels good to. Maybe it just feels good. It. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 It doesn't have to be any anything more complex than that.
2: Or, or you know, you hear a lot of, uh, or I hear of um, very high-powered people who sexually prefer submissive roles mm -hmm. uh, because they're out there. They're doing this. They're playing this role out there Um, as this high-powered. They're tired. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, but they also want to just a more. A complete life experience right mm, they don't, mm-hmm. they, we're, you know uh, uh, being biological creatures were still um, uh, motivated by homeostasis
1: right, right? yes some
2: kind of balance
1: that's the only goal
0: yeah
1: that's the only biological goal just for everything to be copacetic just yeah. Yeah. right yeah. yeah that's a great point too that that to have that entire experience and and be able to see what the other side is like to be able to, I think, you know, because I think I'm one of those people, I have a lot of responsibility in my regular life. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that I do, I mean, and and not even just sexually, like you're one of the first people that I've allowed to do for me at all. And I think it's because we have that trust and we have that intimacy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where I can, I can finally just kind of let go a little bit, and it's it's good for me to mm-hmm. to do that, to trust and just kind of let go a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that spills over into our into our intimate life too.
0: Right? And a couple a couple, of, a couple of episodes ago, we had talked about um, the movie Kinsey about alfred kinsey with liam neeson as as the lead in it and so we're watching it b had never seen it before so we're watching it Uh and he talks that there's a scene in the movie where he's trying to get funding from the rockefeller foundation for his like sexuality museum and he talks about like you know the kind of pornography that's produced i mean this is back you know in the early 20th century that he's that this movie took place and I mean, he's, he's talking about how like, you know, in England, the fantasy pornography tends to be mostly like headmistress, you know, the, the domination type stuff. And, and American stuff tends to be there's a lot of race play with with slavery and, and stuff like that. And, and you know, it's it's more bondage in in the Far East. And, and it's it's interesting when you talk about about that, you know, people with high power positions. Overwhelmingly, if you see that there is a fetish, it tends to be more of a submissive fetish, right? Oh, and oh. and I think I think it plays to that homeostasis thing, where we're just trying to find a balance. If your life is very much one way, then your fantasy life is going to be very much mm-hmm. kind of the opposite to bring it into some kind of balance. Just
1: there. want to do it yeah. <laughs> just want to do Absolutely. all, Absolutely, all the things. See see what shakes out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
2: yeah. Well, you know, and there, there's the also. um, Uh, a lot of people come in because they, they low sexual desire. Mm. Low sexual desire is one of the most common complaints that a sex therapist will see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can only imagine.
1: Would you argue that that comes from that safe closeness?
2: That's exactly right. Absolutely. You know, that, that uh, this is just, this is familiar, right? This is familiar or uh, they you know i will I will when a couple comes in and, and they describe it, I say, Let me stop you. <laughs> let me guess what your sexual style is nipple nipple pussy wow, and they' you just <laughs> their heads start nodding
1: <laughs> she's like uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> how did you know
2: how did you know <laughs> right exactly and and um uh I, I do supervision for sex therapists, you know, tr- in training, and and so supervisee and I were talking today, and um, there's this uh, some some people want a lot of experimentation, but are afraid to uh, uh, introduce it or to talk to their partner about it, right? And so um, this couple does one. One uh, sexual uh position only missionary right and she wants to try something new and so I you know I was saying to the to my supervisee, well, if she's doing missionary we know who's the first one on the bed <laughs> right <laughs> yes. so yes. she has a lot of power
1: mm-hmm. what yeah. if
2: instead of lying on her back, she just on her knees and on her. On her elbows, right?
1: they face in the pillow. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes. Well, what is that? There's the that's another option. It's a forced mm-hmm. choice, we would say in psychology, <laughs> right? It's a forced choice. Right. Um, and so he's she's showing up in a different way. And when you sh- when you change the environment, you change the you ch- you 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 change the behavior options, the behavior choices. Right. And that can can really bring about a whole lot of desire. I mean, you hear it all the time. Couples say, you know, we go on vacation, we have a great sex life, and then we come back home and it's in the tank again. Mm -hmm. Well, what percentage of the time are you having sex in the bedroom? Oh, all the time. Stop having sex in the bedroom. (laughs) Anywhere but. Have sex in the
1: laundry room. Yeah,
2: Yeah, on the spin cycle.
1: There you go. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so true That's it's a lot of people talk about that, about vacation sex.
0: Yeah. It's that novelty of that location, yeah. right? Yeah. And also the lack of stress and the regular day-to-day routine of your life, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And new experiences, going on adventures, you know, new foods, right. new environments, all that kind of stuff.
1: As a woman, I know a lot of the time when I'm at home, it's so easy for my brain to get invaded with all the things I need to do. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not in that environment, Mm -hmm. when you're in that novel environment, that hotel room, that suite, that wherever it is, all of that is gone because you're, there's no triggers for you. Right. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, That's why we wish the sex clubs would open up, so that we would have something else to look at. But you know,
2: well, that's what um, is it? I believe that's what is at the root of all affairs. Is the mm. is the deep longing to feel the aliveness that comes from the novel experience, Mm -hmm. right? And 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 of course, I think there are other ways to experience that aliveness. Right? Yes. But it still is what's missing in a lot of people's lives. And monogamy, I'm not anti monogamy by any stretch, but not monogamy in, by definition removes competition. Yeah. And competition is a powerful means to experience desire. When you yeah. know someone else wants what you want, mm-hmm. want that thing way more. Right. Yep. When there's complications, <laughs> that's for absolutely true. It. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I'm, a, I, I uh, uh, encourage couples to begin to examine the rules around which they've, um, organized their relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, for example,
2: a lot of couples don't, uh, permit flirting. And why don't they per- per- permit flirting? One reason only. They're afraid that they'll no longer be the special. Mm. Right? That someone else, they'll be dethroned and someone else will be the special. And, 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 and they're afraid that they'll lose that status because clearly they were the special one because they were chosen. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden someone else is getting a little bit of attention. That must mean that I'm no longer the special. When in fact study after study shows that when you see your partner getting attention from other people, you tend to find your partner more attractive. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're
1: seeing them through fresh eyes. Yes.
2: Yes. And, And if other people like what, like, what you have then what you have must have value yes
1: that's right yeah. yes it must be pretty great if yeah. everybody that's absolutely yeah. but but like you said so many people are afraid of losing something through yeah. that experience yeah. they they shy away from that and completely shut out that and and that's that's always been we're not anti monogamy either as long as both people have agreed and you've had some conversations about what that looks like for each one of you and keep that conversation going. But, um, you know, the one thing with monogamy that I always see, and I I see it in, in a lot of my friends is that it shuts down that sexual persona of that other person. And all of those things that made them attractive to you, Mm monogamy sometimes demands that you shut that down so that you can feel comfortable and secure. And like you say, I I love that closeness versus intimacy that you talked about. Mm -hmm. It's that same thing. You feel completely safe. You know, you guys are super close, your best friends, you're not, you, you know exactly where their eyeballs are going. And then all of a sudden you, that desire for that person is completely gone and you can't understand why you're not attracted to, or, or, I guess you're still attracted, but you don't have the desire for that person. It's because you've shut all that aliveness down. That's right. And so you feel that they feel that. Mm. And like you said, I I think like, I think you're absolutely right about so many affairs are that attempt to recapture Mm. that aliveness Mm -hmm. and that feeling of just being desired.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, it's not uncommon when people have affairs, they, find that the they're more sexually interested in their primary partner
1: hmm mm-hmm. right
2: that, mm-hmm. that, that energy uh, towards their partner increases right because right. of that aliveness gets kicked yeah. in right
1: yes, it, yes.
2: It, it's uh, you know when when desire is low I say to couples it's a it's a it's a very simple formula if you're wanting fire fire requires two ingredients, fuel and oxygen. Mm-hmm. The fuel is showing up as a sexual being, right? Just right. the showing up, but fuel alone isn't enough to keep mm-hmm. the fire going, right? You, yeah. n- mm-hmm. you need oxygen. And so what is that oxygen? That oxygen is the infusion of something of newness on a regular basis. Oxygen coming in, Fresh oxygen coming in is that infusion of something new on a regular basis. That's how you keep the fire going.
1: Mm-hmm, right?
2: mm-hmm. That's how you keep the fire going. And so if the fire has diminished, then that tells you that one of two things have, has happened. You've stopped showing up as a sexual being mm-hmm. or you've stopped introducing newness into the relationship.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. It's it's funny you talk. It's it's simple, not easy, always, right? Simple, like not, it's yeah. simple, not easy. Yeah. So, yeah. But that such a such a great point. And and sometimes, sometimes that oxygen is just space. Yeah. for That oxygen.
0: Yes. To just to enter.
1: To enter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Right. And again, that closeness sometimes snuffs that out. You need That's to exactly right. Sometimes that. Uh, a little bit of reclamation of autonomy is, is all that's needed to yeah. infuse that, right? So right, right. Such, such, you know, I mean, I'm learning so much. I <laughs> <love this. laughs> Just to add to that, you know,
2: earlier I talked about the purity movement as a, as a significant source of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would go, all, uh, go so far as to also say that Hollywood has been more negatively impactful to relationships than pornography. In that, that, it is so easy to understand that pornography is is not real. Mm
1: -hmm. But Mm
2: -hmm. as a culture, we look at Hollywood and we believe that, oh, that must be what a real relationship should look like. Because it feels right. good, right? Mm-hmm, it feels mm-hmm. good. You're just sharing every moment of someone of your life with someone, and that just feels <laughs> so wonderful, right? But Hollywood <laughs> is a lot of closeness, 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 closeness. Yes, yes. And and so there then becomes this expectation that your relationship should look like Hollywood, and the the and when it doesn't, now we enter into bitterness resentment anger that somehow we're being deprived of something and that then negatively impacts the the sexual relationship
1: can i can i share something with you that is just completely on that point Hmm. when i got married it was like maybe six months into my marriage and (laughs) we were driving somewhere and my husband turned to me and said that he thought that we should probably get a divorce. And I was like, pardon? And, he, and I said, why? Why do you think that we should get a divorce? And he said, and I quote, because we don't have movie love. Oh. <laughs> God. Yes. Oy. So, of course, I went ahead and had two children with him. But um, <laughs> that But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, because th- that's, it's like, I'll show you movie love. Let's, <laughs> but, but it's so it like, and that was like, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you say that because Hollywood hasn't changed.
2: Hollywood hasn't changed.
1: Hasn't changed since then. And it's, um, it's actually, it's funny. There's a couple of um, polyamory accounts that I follow on Instagram. And one was kind of alluding to, you know, polyamorous people watching, a romantic comedy and going, you know, we could fix all of this with a conversation. This doesn't have to be all this drama. I'm like, could you imagine how boring movies would be if it, if, if it was all polyamory based, like it was like, and then we had a conversation and it was cool. The end. Like, but, but you're right. Like Hollywood has ruined love for us.
2: Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's, it's again, questioning uh, those couple, like like in uh, we, we see in polyamory, is this fundamental questioning about the domestication that we've all have undergone, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The, mm-hmm. the oh, is it possible that I can love more than one person? Is it possible that I can have sexual relationships? It may not be love, but can I just have m- multiple sexual relationships in an ethical and consenting way? and still have love for my primary partner. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think a lot of people are finding that, yes, they can. Yes, they can. Yes, they (laughs) can. Absolutely. And that, I love that word that you use, that domestication, that so much of that is a lie. Yes. So, you know, it's it's so, it's really interesting. I, I
0: remember that being kind of a light bulb moment for me when I realized that, Like I had a lot of anxiety when I was about to have my second child because I Mm -hmm. love my first child so much. And I was like, oh, if there's another one, like I'm going to have to take some love away from that first one to give to that second one. And of course, you know, parents who have more than one kid know that that's not the case. You might have your favorites on day to day, but like you, (laughs) you, you have this capacity for more love. And it's not that zero sum. It's not like you know you have a hundred pieces of love, and you know you can only give it to how you got to divvy it out. And you know, and 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 of course, it makes sense when you have two parents, you love both of them. When you have siblings, you love all of them. When you have children, you love them all. And it's not like it just it gets diluted the more people that are involved in that. And and I think we understand that maybe on a on one level when it comes to non romantic love for friends or family or children but then when it comes to a romantic love we're still kind of a lot of people kind of hold back and go well no i like if i if i'm interested in somebody else then that takes away interest or desire for my primary partner because
1: right? sex is involved and we've gotten that messaging that you only have sex with people that you love right and so yeah. that that's i mean that's a that could, that's a whole other episode all on its it own is. Oh. so
0: this has been an, like a fascinating conversation. I'm super uh, excited that we got a chance to connect and talk about this, but I've got one more thing that I just kind of like to kind of sum everything up and wrap it all up. If, if you don't mind, Dr. Murray, uh, if you could have one thing for your, for your clients um, what is it? What is the one thing you wish that they would know or be able to achieve in their relationship? Or, or all people in general, just in relationships, what is the, th- the one thing that you wish everybody was was able to understand and realize?
2: To avoid self-asside. Self-asside. Ooh, wow. Nice.
0: Self-asside. Oh can you explain that to the listeners? I think I have an idea yeah. what that means, but yeah. But yeah for-
2: self-asside is the cleaving away of important parts of yourself just to go along, to get along. Right. Wow. right. Hmm. And if you can oh hold goodness. on to yourself, If you can hold on to yourself uh, and 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 uh tolerate any demands for annihilation because that happens in relationship there's this almost annihilation there's this desire to annihilate difference in order to avoid the fear right um uh to avoid feeling the anxiety by the the thought is i just need to annihilate that difference and yet when we do that, over, the, over a period of time, what happens is that someone is bound to one day wake up and ask the question, Who in the fuck am I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Who mm-hmm. am I? And and the tragedy, of course, is that the other no longer knows you either, because you've stopped being a self-in-the relationship. Yeah. You've committed self-aside. So the the antidote to that is, of course, self-fullness, right? Self-fullness, not selfishness, but self-fullness, that recognition that I do have dreams, hopes, desires, and they are legitimate too. Mm -hmm. That our differences can be a source of celebration, not something to annihilate. So as as an aspiration for my uh, patients, it would be to hold on to themselves to be self full and to, uh, to uh, escape any pressure for self aside.
1: Wow. That's, you know, I'm, I could tell your mind's blown. I'm, I, I, <laughs> it, 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 my mind is, is really blown right now because I, I've, I've, I've I feel that. I feel that. Oh, a yeah, lot. Absolutely. I, I, I've, I've done that wake up and gone. What? Like, you know, um, so I, such, such amazing advice. I've got, look, I've got all kinds of quotable quotables here. Um,
0: You've, you've put into words something that I think, uh, I, I know I've certainly have felt this, you know, like, who am I and how do I want to spend the rest of my life? And I think that's that realization moment that, that some people have in a relationship where this relationship isn't going to work anymore. um, And I need to, I need to figure out What I want to do with the rest of my life,
1: or people figuring out together who they are, yeah, you know, in in those cases too. But absolutely, like such such incredible advice, Dr. Murray. We are so grateful that we got to spend this time with you today, and that you were able to to join us. Um, This has been. An amazing conversation. I hope you'll come back and join us again because I'm sure there'll be more and more stuff that comes up that that we can talk about. You're just you're. Your clients are very, very lucky to have you, oh. and uh, we were lucky to have you. Absolutely, so thank you so much. Thank for you. That.
0: Y- you're based in you're based in North Carolina, but I guess you're doing these virtual sessions now. Um, could you maybe tell our listeners just before we, we say goodbye how they can get in touch with you if they don't live in North Carolina and want to want to um, they like what they hear and would like to mm-hmm. to talk to you a little further?
2: Yes, uh, certainly. They can go to my website, which is drtommurray.com. And currently I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, and uh, soon to be Oregon. Uh, and so any anyone in those um, states can certainly work with me, of course, internationally. Um, and they can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tom Murray.
1: There's some great stuff on there. Yeah, you've yeah. showed me some stuff. It's That's great. fantastic. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Murray. Uh, we really, really appreciate you taking that time with us today. Thank you. Bye now.
1: All Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Wow, that was such an amazing conversation with took, Dr. Murray.
0: You took the words right out of my mouth. When I was thinking if I was going to start the, the, the outro, I was going to say, wow. Like literally that was <laughs> that was the word. Literally I, wow. Literally. Get out of my wow, head. Get out of my head. Yeah. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. I he, feel so, so like energized after chatting to him.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, just when you think you know everything, which, you know, sometimes we do. Yeah. We don't. And it, this, you you want to talk about oxygen? Yeah, that's that's what he is—just a big blast of oxygen. self Self-aside, like mind blown. Yeah. Oh, I know, I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I I hope you all enjoyed that because we we enjoyed speaking with him so much, and we will absolutely have him on again. Yes, if,
0: if, if he will will give us be even more generous with his time, we would love to have Dr. yeah Peter back on the, on the absolutely.
1: podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah. um. So you know where to get a hold of him, and it, it will be in the show notes as yeah. well. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please um, like and subscribe, leave a review, um, share this episode with someone that you think will get something out of it. And I I honestly can't think of anyone who would not get something out of this yeah, episode.
0: There's something in there for everyone. I think. Yeah, yeah. He,
1: he he's amazing. How can people get a hold of us, Dante?
0: Well, you can go to our website cheatingonfear.com you can send us some feedback or any show ideas or to, questions or questions we've had a few questions so far I'd love to put mm. together a, a listener episode a oh we need a mailbag episode. Episode. mailbag episode yes so you can do that by sending an email to info at cheatingonfear.com mm-hmm. and then on the socials Facebook sorry uh, Instagram and Twitter we're not on Facebook Facebook's for old people yeah Twitter Fuck and Facebook. Instagram we are at cheatingonfear and if you need some coffee or your feet are cold or you need some new underwear check out our sponsors the links are in the uh in the show notes and of course you heard the ads at the beginning of the episode there so support them because they are amazing people as well thanks guys thanks everyone